Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Donna. Good things to be thinking out as we head into John chapter 6 one more time. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, John 6 has certainly been good for me. It's uh, one of those passages that uh, originally I really didn't like John chapter 6 very well, mostly because I couldn't understand it. Uh, you come into this chapter that talks about things that you say, what? What does that mean? What is that about? And I still can't say that I fully understand John 6. Uh, but as I've been learning and studying more, it's become one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible uh, because Jesus is really working and, and using uh, words and pictures and things to help us understand who he is better and understand more fully what it means to believe in him. And I'm so thankful for that because I can see it in our age, um, but really, I'm sure in every age since then, people saying, oh, believe believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? And we, and we, we go the, the full spectrum from the idea, well, it just means just acknowledge who he is. Uh, to people taking taking it the wrong way and saying, oh, well, you have to, by believing, you have to do and do and do and do and do these things, which is certainly not true because believing in him and salvation through Jesus is a free gift. It's, it's an act of his grace. And so as we come back again and again to John chapter 6, uh, what Jesus is doing is just laying layers and layers of truth on that idea of what it means to believe in him. And you know, he started off with, with an incredible picture for us, right, of, of people who were hungry, and Jesus fed them miraculously. Didn't just feed them a little snack or enough to get them by till they could get somewhere else to eat, but he, he let them eat until they were filled, even though they started with just a little lunch. And he gave us that picture of his, his disciples out on the sea. Couldn't get where they were going, though they tried and tried and tried. And Jesus walked across the water, did the impossible, appeared to them. And when he got into the boat, what, what happened? The waves stopped, the wind stopped blowing, and they were at the place where they were going. Jesus showed them, I'm, I'm the creator God. I made bread. I came up with the concept of bread and food. I made the wind and the waves and the sea and you and time and space. And I am the Lord of all those. Demonstrated that in, in great ways. And then as the people came to him focused on, I wonder if we can get another free meal. Jesus then takes them through this teaching to move them, or at least give them the opportunity, I should say, to move from that focus on being filled physically and looking for maybe a meal ticket that would keep giving them physical food, to helping them understand that really what you need is far more than just bread and fish far more than just having your physical body nourished. What you need is eternal life. And that's where he's been 
going with the people, taking them through that, that process, trying for those who will believe to move them. And I think, I think some of them maybe believed later. Many of them, as we'll see by the end of the chapter, walked away. Said, no, that's not where I'm headed. Thankfully, John recorded this for us by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God had him write it down, then preserved it, and had it put in his word. So that today we can get that same lesson. What does it mean to believe in, in Jesus? And the people he's talking to, you know, first he's talking to people who are looking for a meal. It seems as there's a transition in there where he then is talking to the Jewish leaders when he says the Jews questioned him this way. It usually means the Jewish religious leaders. And so there's some back and forth, them asking questions or murmuring, as we saw last week, amongst themselves. You know, well, how did he come down from heaven? We know his parents. We know where he's from. He's from Nazareth. And Jesus just keeps moving them back to that idea that they need to believe in him for who he is, that he is, in fact, the Savior. And so we're going to move this morning uh, to verses 51 through 60. So please uh, just follow along with me as I read those out loud. John 6, verses 51 through 60. It says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? So, Jesus says things, right, that have people wondering. Uh, starts off here with this, this first uh, statement in verse 51. And he repeats, of course, his I am statement, right? He said back in 49, I am the bread of life. And here again, he says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's repeating himself. And he's changing things a little bit as he goes. You might notice that. Because he wants to make sure we understand what it is he's talking about and uh, if we can go ahead and get that first slide up, you look at some of the, the, the things that we've already seen him say in this time of teaching that he has. 
I, um, there's, there's a little bit more for this, but here's the more concise statements that put it together. Remember back in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And here he's, he's hitting that idea with will not hunger, will never thirst. Uh, really our ways of saying we'll have eternal life, right? Because if you're never going to hunger or thirst, oh, then you have what you need on into, he didn't put an end on it, did he? Right? Okay. But, but he tells us what he's talking about. How, how do you get to that point? Oh, comes to me, believes in me. Making those two parallels, really saying the same thing, but to come to him because you're hungry tells us you're coming to him knowing that he can provide what you need. Then he says, with a parallel, comes and keeps on believing in him. And that's what you get, is eternal life come dependent on him and to believe on him. Then in verse 40, he said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, what? Will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So once again, very similar statement. He reiterates it. It's a little bit different, right? Because he stops and says, beholds, which is that word that means really takes a look at, studies to understand, and believes, keeps on believing. In other words, you, you believe and become a believing one, because it's present tense. That will be the gift of eternal life, proven by being raised up on the last day. Jesus, again, is emphasized in chapter 5 and here again in chapter 6 more than once that he is the one who has the power and has the, the, the job of resurrecting those who have eternal life into life eternal. 47, he said, truly, truly, remember that emphasis, right? I say to you, he who what? Believes has eternal life. We love that one, right? Nice and simple. How do you end up with eternal life? You become one who believes. Okay? Nice and simple. And we need to keep that in mind because he's going to give some parallel statements in this next section. We need to know he's saying the same thing, but helping us understand more fully what that means. And then just before the verse that we, I just read, verse 50, he said, This is, speaking of himself, the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So now instead of saying believe and have eternal life, he says, here's what I mean by believe. Eat of the bread of life. What is the bread of life? I am the bread of life. And so eating of the bread of life, you can see the parallel means to be believing in him. It's kind of weird language, isn't it? I'm the bread, eat me. Then you will not die. And as Jesus moves ahead, he wants to take us deeper and fuller into understanding this concept of believing because we will tend as human beings to just make it very, very simple or very twisted. And he wants us to get the idea. And so these parallels just give us that basic meaning. And if you don't get anything else out of this, get by believing, 
you receive the gift of eternal life. That's Jesus' main point throughout all of this. But he wants us to know it more fully. He's seeking to deepen our understanding of what it means by, by these new ways of saying it. One of the things he adds in verse 51 is that at the end of, of that, after saying, you know, that one, whoever eats of this bread will live forever, but then he says, well, the bread, the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So one of the things he wants us to understand is the necessity of him as coming as Savior was that he have flesh and blood, that he be a human being like us. And that it's that flesh would actually be given, would be sacrificed, you could say, on our behalf, literally, physically. Which, of course, is a, is a reference to the fact that he would die for the sins of each person in the world, and that death would include physical death. It isn't just a spiritual death, but he would actually give the body that he has to die. And, and if, we, if you jump over to Hebrews chapter 2 with me, uh, we can see that the necessity that Jesus not only be the Son of God, that is, to be God and be equal with the Father in his deity, Hebrews 2, uh, verses 14 and 15 explains to us here, speaking of, of Jesus, says, Therefore, since the children, that's us human beings, share in flesh and blood, that's something that's common to all of us, right? If, we're not, if you don't have flesh and blood, you're not human, okay? He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. See, we as human beings, because of sin, our bodies are dying, right? It's becoming more and more obvious the older you get, right? We are dying. Death is coming. We see it happen around us. Physical death comes to all human beings. And so when Jesus came to die on our behalf, not only did he have to pay the eternal debt that we deserve going to hell forever. He, he took that on himself. But he also, because we are physical beings, gave his body that God gave to him when he was born. And he, sac he gave that so that we could be also raised to new life. We aren't just spiritual beings. We're spiritual and flesh and blood as well. And so he says... I'm going to give my flesh for you because you are human beings. Because God doesn't just leave his hand and dismiss our sin. People say, oh, well, God can just forgive everybody of their sin. But God is a holy God. And God is a totally just God. So sin can't just be forgotten and ignored unless it has been paid for. Sin is an expensive thing to rebel against Almighty God. And there are consequences for sin. Death is that consequence that God told about from the very beginning. Okay? And so death has to be paid for each person. And Jesus paid for that not just spiritually, but also 
physically and laying down, giving his body to die as well. So someone who is completely human and has a physical body had to pay for our sin so that it could be forgiven. So Jesus presses the teaching that he's, he's giving further by showing that he would give his flesh for our forgiveness. And we have to, we have to believe that he did that for us, right? Then we enter into what he did for us by believing, becoming believing ones in what he did and who he is. And to show the depth of what we are doing, he compares it to eating him as the bread of life. He brings that picture together. You have to receive the death that I died for you, not just spiritually, but I died it physically as well. Remember the context, by the way? You remember clear back how many weeks ago when we started John chapter 6, verse 4, what it said? Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. It's been so far, but stop and think about what that meant. As Jesus here is, we're told in, in verse 59, is teaching in the synagogue, the Jewish people's minds and hearts were set on this annual feast in which they commemorate when God brought them out of Egypt. And you remember, God's judgment was on the land of Egypt. And he said, here's what I'm going to, I'm going to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. And if you want your firstborn to not die tonight, each each household, each family needs to take a lamb. And that lamb needs to be killed. And you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to mark the top of your door and the sides of the door. And then, when judgment comes, it will pass over you. Hence the name of the, of the, the feast, the Passover. But that wasn't the only thing that was done with the lamb, was it? The lamb was eaten. This lamb that gave its life, the whole family would then eat that lamb. As a, as a, it really is an amazing picture of participating in what was done on their behalf. They ate the lamb. And it gave them sustenance for the next day when they headed out. They ate unleavened bread. Remember leaven symbolizing sin. This was bread without sin that they took into themselves, which then gave them strength for the journey out of the land of slavery and into the freedom God had for them. These things, maybe the scriptures for Passover in the synagogue had been read just before Jesus began teaching. But what sounds so odd to us maybe wasn't, didn't sound quite so strange in the ears of these people who'd just been hearing and thinking and, and ready to celebrate Passover because entering in and, and eating of the lamb was a way of saying, yes, God, we believe you that you can save our firstborn from dying. In the same way, Jesus is saying, enter in, believe in me. That's what I mean when I say eat of me. Be believing in me and you will have eternal life. Takes it further, right? And remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
think Jesus is bringing all these different elements together and saying, understand, you've got to believe in me. Verse 52 tells us that they understood it really well, right? No. No, the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now understand, I don't think anyone there thought Jesus was, was promoting cannibalism. I don't think they expected him to be start cutting off chunks of his, of his body or pouring out cups of his blood. If they'd thought that, I think they would have drugged him outside of, of the, the town of Capernaum and stoned him to death. That would have been a horrendous thing. They, they knew from their culture, from the things that were part of, of their life, that he was using covenant language. Jesus intensifies what he's saying with the language of covenant. And a covenant was an agreement, yes, that's kind of a mild word for it. But it's a coming together of two parties over some sort of an issue. Now, you might come together with someone like Jacob and Laban. They made a covenant because they were enemies, in a sense. They were, they were at odds with each other, and so they made a covenant in which they said, you know, don't go past, we won't go past this pillar we're setting up to harm the other one. And they sat down and they had a meal together to seal that covenant. And part of that covenant, in a sense, was you're eating this bread, and I'm eating this bread as though I'm eating you and taking you into me so that now if I go to hurt you, it's like I'm hurting myself. And if you come to hurt me, it's like you're coming to hurt yourself because we're now connected by this idea of covenant. Um, you know, there's, there's other kinds of covenants that were made, but it's got that idea, and a lot of times they were sealed with a meal where it had that, that picture. Of course we're going to keep our agreement because now if I hurt you or if I don't keep my, my, my covenant, it's like I'm doing it to myself because now you are in me and I am in, I'm in you and we're together. Of course, marriage is another great covenant in the Bible, right? And even in the betrothal, and I think I've mentioned this before, but the betrothal process, you know, you had the young man who wanted to get married, right? And he and his father would talk about it. It's like, oh, we're really interested. In this. I think this young lady would be a good one to marry, whether the young man or the father is arranging that as maybe more possible. But they would go and they would talk to the father of the young woman woman, and they would, you know, talk about the bride price and all those different things that were part of their culture, but then if all that was agreed on, the young man, uh, we're told from, from historical sources, would take a cup of wine, offer it to the young woman, and in that saying, drink me into you, take my life into you, and we will be married. That's just for the betrothal, which is why, if you remember when when Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant, he considered divorcing her, even though they weren't married, they were just betrothed. But that coming together in, in this covenant, even in betrothal, had that idea that we are being joined together as one. And that process, of course, was, was completed in the, in, the, in the marriage ceremony. And then the, the, uh, the consummation of the marriage. But it's that coming together, one coming together. And they say, I am in you, and you are in me. Still reflected, by the way, in our modern wedding ceremonies, though very few people know it, when the couple, we don't see it too much where they give each other a drink of, of wine or of juice. 
but that's the origins of it. You might wonder, why, why'd we ever do that? Well, it's, it's covenant and the cake, right? Feed each other a piece of cake. The, the, the meaning underlying that is, you're taking me into you, and I'm taking you into me. We are becoming one, which is why I get a little bit of a stick in the mud when they start putting each other's faces, because I'm like, you don't know the seriousness behind why that's even in our, our ceremonies anymore. But that's what Jesus is doing here. Take me into you. Eat me. No, he's not be a cannibal. He's saying this is a serious way of believing. It's not just mental assent to a fact, but it's a deep personal relationship. And as, and as he continues on, he just now puts layer after layer of understanding on that. So let's just move our way down through the rest of these verses. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. So like our physical bodies need food, our spirits need to be nourished or they will die, right? Even more than that, we're all on a path to death. Just like the Jews' forefathers who ate manna, right? Without the manna, their bodies would die. And though the firstborn of Israel, back on that day when God said, I'm going to take all the firstborn in Egypt, even though the firstborn Jews, Jewish boys, were still alive on that day, if they didn't participate in what God said to do, and kill that lamb and eat that lamb, they were as good as dead that night. You could say they had no life in themselves. In order to have life beyond that night, they had to, to participate. They had to eat of that covenant animal. They had no future in this world otherwise. The only thing that they could expect if they didn't believe about the judgment that was coming, that the firstborn would be dead. They had no life themselves. And so here's the same thing Jesus is saying about the ultimate judgment of God. Unless you eat me, in other words, enter into this covenant agreement with me, you have no life in yourself, and all you can expect is death, not just physical death, but eternal death, punishment in hell forever. And Jesus emphasizes here his humanity again, and the need to be joined to the one who is both God and man. Then we go to verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then if you can, we can go to the next slide, you can see that this is really just rewording, you could say, verse 40. Okay? Because in verse 40, he gave us the same truth, but he said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So in another way, he says the same thing. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, ah, beholds and believes, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. But he wants us to know that that believing isn't just some sort of a little thing that you go through, some off-the-cuff kind of decision, but it's Jesus into you to, to, to dwell 
in you, right? Helps us understanding that beholding and that believing. Those are ongoing things. Those are serious things. Not just giving mental assent. It means entering into it with all you are. Jesus entered into this all that he is, right? He gave all of himself. So it's a matter of complete dependence. What that dependence means is, is understood practically by us. Right? We come to Christ. We don't, it doesn't mean we understand the depth of the commitment we've entered into. But he's faithful to help us understand it as we grow, as we know him, as we're in, in his word. It helps us to, to come deeper into that understanding and knowledge. So when Jesus says believe, he means a dependent and trusting of yourself to him. That's what he's after. Verse 55 then is really an interesting one. He says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Not that there's a false food and drink, but well, we ran into this earlier <clears throat> where Jesus said that he was true food. It means the, the, the ultimate, right? Of which the food that you eat day by day, the drink that you drink every day, that's just a picture. That's a shadow. Uh, you, you might even say that, that being nourished by food and by drink exists. So you will know what it means to be nourished by Jesus. We do it every day, right? We know intimately what it means to eat, to be hungry and to eat and to be alive because of the food we eat. But that's just a mere shadow, he says, of the ultimate kind of eating, the ultimate kind of drinking and being nourished. So if we take our experience with needing those physical things and think about our basic physical need, we can begin to understand how much we need Jesus. We have to fully depend on him for life. He is the ultimate meaning of food and drink. So compare your belief in him to your commitment to food and drink every day. You're all alive. I'm pretty sure you're committed to eating every day, aren't you? And then verse 56, he takes it deeper. And here's where we know it's really, he's talking about covenant language. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. It's that, that mutually being in each other's lives completely. We find a clarity here about the covenant, because that's what a covenant was about. It's like the two becoming one in marriage. It's like the branch abiding in the vine. If we jump ahead a little bit in John to chapter 15... Here's an illustration we'll get to go into in more depth later on. But if it, what we're looking at now is providing the basis for understanding that. Where he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you 
are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're abiding just like that vine, that branch. If that branch is not connected and drawing its life from the vine, it's dead, right? It will produce no grapes, no fruit. It's an interconnectedness, a mutual life shared from the vine into the branch. Jesus wants them and wants us to know that's what that relationship is that he's talking about when he says, eat of my flesh and my blood, so that what it really means is I'm living in you. You are living in me. And that all is like the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All of them are said to abide in the others. And that's what it's, where he goes to then in verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. And the word because, both times in that, in that verse, could be translated literally by means of me. So I live by means of the Father, and we who eat of him live by means of Jesus. He is the means by which we still have life. And his life is shared with the Father, right? The Father who is the creator of everything. The Father who is the one who, you know, who breathed life into Adam so that he became a living soul. And he dwelt in the Son, and therefore those who come to the Son and get life from the Son have the same life that is in the Father. And he wraps it all together, says it again one more time in verse 58, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. He says, I'm not talking about putting something in your mouth. Even like manna, which was miraculous. I'm talking about believing in me coming with a depth of dependence and need that says, the only way I can live, Jesus, is if your life is in me. So what was the reaction? Well, verse 59 just is, is the one that tells us he was in the synagogue when he taught these things. And verse 60 says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Now, these things are hard to understand. Knowledge that I certainly have a hard time understanding, but that's not what his disciples And they understood what Jesus meant. They were versed in the language of covenant. The word that's used there for difficult means it's harsh or offensive. It means what he's saying is something they don't want to hear. The hard thing about it was that it was way more than they had in mind by following Jesus. It's as though they're saying, can you believe the kind of commitment that this man expects from us? Who can keep listening to such things? How is it that he could ask us? Commit to him in such a deep and full way. 
that Jesus would not just be their teacher, their meal provider, or their earthly king as they thought they wanted. He is saying that their lives must be wrapped up in his completely and permanently. Really, to sum it all up, he must become their life. And it still applies to us today. Jesus must become our life. And that means some serious contemplation, doesn't it? What is it we hold on to and say, no, this is my life. Jesus, I'll, I'll take your eternal, eternal life so that when I die, I won't have to go to hell. Uh, but all this other stuff that I have, uh, you, you can stay out of that. The kind of commitment that Jesus means when he says, I, you believe in me, is far fuller and full, far deeper. And this is a hard thing. The gospel isn't all often presented with this level of seriousness. There are many people who are willing to do some good works. Well, if I do this and this and this, and then I get eternal, okay, I'm willing to go there. I earned it, so it's mine. I'm willing to be baptized and kind of change for you know, being dunked in the water. Now I have eternal life. I'm willing to say that prayer that you told me I need to say in order to be saved. I'll do that thing and get my free ticket into heaven. And Jesus' gift of eternal life is free. There's nothing we can do to earn it. The only way we have it is that he gives it to us. But when we receive it, it changes everything because it comes with the most intimate and life-changing things that exist. A covenant relationship with him where he is in us and he says we are in him, as he described in this chapter. So if you have become someone who is believing in Jesus, that's what you, is yours. That is yours if you have become a believer, someone who is believing in Jesus. You, you have that kind of relationship with him. And if you didn't, to the degree that you didn't realize that before, be in awe, be rejoicing that God the Son wants you that close, that intimate, that full of a relationship with you because there is nothing better, nothing fuller, nothing that provides you with more. That's what is yours when you become a believing one. And every one of us is still understanding what that means no matter how long we've walked with Jesus. If you haven't believed in Jesus, start that today. Become a believing one. So believe at this point in time. But by doing that, it takes you into a relationship where you are one who is on, in an ongoing way of believing in Jesus, united with him, having him live in you by his spirit, you being in him and, and, and having advantage of his eternal life, but also now moving forward in union with him. Now, a year after this, teaching. The next Passover. He's with his 12 disciples and Jesus started something with them to remind them of who he is and what he was about to do for them. And as we look back, what he has already done for us in going to the cross and paying for our sin. 
And we call it communion or the Lord's table. And today being the first Sunday of the month when we usually do that, we're now going to do that. So if the men would go ahead and come forward as I, as I finish up with some of the explanation here. What Jesus introduced to his disciples, you would call it a memorial meal. It's a remembering meal of who he is. And it doesn't commemorate someone who is dead, but it reminds us, those of us who participate because we are in Christ, that we've been joined together with the one who died for our sins. I remember the one who died for my sins. And when I believed, I entered into him in that death that he died. But then into his life, the life of resurrection that is now mine as well. It reminds all who believe that they have entered into that by, you could say, eating his flesh. That's the symbol of the bread, right? And drinking his blood, the symbol of the juice. Those symbolize that close commitment during communion and remind us of what we have become. That it is Jesus has done so that we could become that. And so as we share together today, if you have believed in Jesus, and that is this, these things that Jesus is teaching about in John 6 are true of you, please join us and remember what Jesus has done and who you now are and rejoice in that. And remember what an, an incredible thing it is he's done. If you haven't believed in Jesus yet, please don't participate. It doesn't fit for you to, to, to eat of the physical bread when you haven't done what it symbolizes by believing in Jesus. Don't drink of the juice if you haven't taken his life into you by believing in him and trusting yourself to him. Because it, it wouldn't fit. But all the better, just take this time and bow your head before the Lord and, and become one who believes in him and entrusts yourself. Father, thank you for welcoming us into a new life in Christ. And by means of him, we have then a new relationship with you, and we have an eternity of your life uh, within us. Lord, help us to be wise in, in the use of that amazing gift of life. We would use it for your honor and glory, and that others would, would see and know that uh, we belong to you. Thank you that, that in, in you is all that we need and all the strength and the wisdom and power that Jesus has become those things for us. Help us to, to honor you then in how we, how we live out this new life, this eternal life that is ours. In Jesus' name we pray.